This is Project In Between, the podcast, helping you to redefine and redesign what stress and trauma means to you. The aim of the podcast is to provide value in sharing other people's stories of healing after their own stressful and traumatic events. My name is Christy. I'm a nurse and behavioral scientist. It brings me so much joy to share stories of light after dark. So today we have Jeremy and Zach from the Fit Mess podcast. Is that correct? It's the Fit Mess. That is correct. Yes. So yeah, um, I'd love for the both of you to, um, you guys pick whoever goes first. Tell me a little bit about yourselves, your background, and um, yeah, just go ahead. Who wants to How go? How about it, Jeremy? All right. Well, I, I guess the you know the the show is kind of the the primary thing to to talk about, and you know, we, and first of all, thank you for having us on. It's a, yeah. we we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's a it's a show that started just a couple of years ago. Zach and I were having uh, conversations uh, about our own struggles for better wellness, and this was after uh, you know we'd met through a mutual friend, and and our daughters were growing up together, and we were just having a lot of similarities. We, you know, kind of traumatic childhoods. You know, some more than other. Zach's more more so than mine. Uh, mine was much more garden variety childhood trauma, but. Um, <laughs> But the, we were having a lot of similar experiences. You know, we'd, we'd gained some weight. We were trying to lose it. We had some mental health issues. We were trying to battle our way through them. And the more we talked about them, uh, Zach was proposing that because I've, I've been podcasting since 2004 and, and Zach actually proposed, hey, why don't we take these conversations and put them on a podcast and share them? Because we don't have these conversations with other guy friends of ours. We don't hear other guys having these conversations. You know, maybe it's a good idea to put this out there. And just show that, you know, it's okay. Guys can talk about having feelings and they're not going to just like dissolve into a puddle of water and, you know, in front of everybody and, you know, change the landscape of humanity. It's okay. We're people, we have feelings. And so it took some prodding and, and some uh, arguing back and forth, but eventually he convinced me and, uh, and we've been doing it ever since. I love that. The puddle of water part. I mean, I just, it's so <laughs> true. Like when you said that before, it's like, oh my God, I've got feelings and emotions and I'm not going to you know, evaporate into a puddle of water. I just think that's right. great. It's such a great analogy. <laughs> um, so yeah, Zach, what about yourself? Yeah. So like Jeremy said, I, there was more than just some prodding. I think I had to push him pretty hard to, yeah. to, to get the podcast off the ground. Um, yeah. My, my background is um, I think I've, I didn't realize it, but I struggled through most of my life with mental health issues due to you know, the way I was raised and we can get into that later, but, um, realizing later in life that like my, my life was not normal and the things that I did are, you know, far and above what most people have to do. And I really just wanted to give something back to the community and help other people who are struggling in the same way. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, Jeremy had the technical chops to, you know, get a podcast off the ground. And like, like he said, we were talking back and forth. And having these really great, meaningful conversations that helped me more, helped him more. Mm. And we just really felt that it was time to bring that out to the masses and try and help as many people as we could. And uh, yeah, we, we started talking into a microphone and it got easier every single week because it was, it was pretty hard at the beginning to like be that vulnerable and throwing ourselves out there. But here we are. I think we're 90 episodes in mm -hmm. of being vulnerable and now it's second nature to us we'll just get on the mic and cry <laughs> I love it I love it um well obviously you know I'm in Australia um you guys are in the states and I funnily enough started my this podcast um at the start of this year and it was just to help me through some particular events that have been going on for myself in the last 18 months and 
I had no idea how to start a podcast. I knew I wanted to. And I was like, the thing that I missed about nursing, because I don't clinically nurse anymore, um, was talking to people, you know, and hearing their stories. And I would literally just sit there and go, tell me everything, <laughs> you know. Um, and then you're right. Like, you yeah, know, with every uh, episode, it just got easier and easier. And the stories that I would hear, I'm just like, oh, my God. You know, you, you hear a little bit of yourself in every story that I share anyway and I think it's probably like that for anybody that you meet you know in everyday life don't you think um that you can sort of always find a bit of yourself in other people's stories yeah for sure I mean I feel like we're all connected in in one way on an energy level or or you know you, you can get as deep in the woo-woo on that as you want or you can just get down to just uh similar stories similar backgrounds experiences that that we all share. And I think anytime you hear anyone's story, there's going to be something in there that you're like, Oh yeah, I went through not that, but that reminds me of, and, and it's just, it's just a reminder that we, we all have our stuff. Everyone's going through something. So that person that irritates you that day for whatever they did there, you just, it's really hard, but you have to remember they're going through something. They, there's something they haven't let go of. There's something they haven't dealt with. Yeah, That's how they're expressing it. And so it just, it's those moments to me are good reminders to have compassion and empathy for everyone because it's just easier to approach life that way than to assume everyone's just being a jerk and angry and just a, a terrible person. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think um, well, here in Australia, a lot of men. Well, I'm an '80s baby. I don't know if what you guys, if you guys grew up in the '80s and the '90s. Late, late '70s, was, late '70s, baby. Yeah. '79. So I just got in under the radar in the 70s. Well, either way, you guys were a product of those particular environments where. You know, boys don't cry. Do you remember that movie? Actually, boys don't cry. Oh yeah. You yeah. know, and you know, boys are never allowed to. I know here in Australia, football is massive, so you know, everyone's like really rugged and full on. And I mean, you've got gridiron, I suppose, but um, you know, you're never allowed to. Boys were never allowed to express their emotions, and if they did, there was something wrong with them, or they were told to shut up. Don't be a little, don't be a little girl, or what you know, which I think is such hideous messaging which is mm -hmm. probably why we're seeing like higher rates of mental health issues amongst men because they've been so deconditioned against their own inner nature. Right. Yeah. I, I would, I mean, that was a similar message I got from my dad was, you know, like, stop crying, get up, rub dirt in it. You're okay. There's, there's nothing to be sad about. And mm. I, I still remember like the first time, we, we sat down with a therapist. My dad finally gave in and, and brought me to therapy. And, uh, you know, he was, he said to the therapist, like, I just don't understand why he's this way. <laughs> and cause I just wasn't quite manly enough for, you know, nine-year-old boy. Yeah. I don't understand why he is this way. I've actually met a couple of guys who are in touch with their, you know, I think at the end, of, like on an energetic level, as you were saying before, Jeremy, like we are all energy at the, at the core of who we are. Like if you want to be all sciencey about it, like, you know, energy is cells and, you know, all that, and we are all made up of cells and things like that. So yeah, that makes so much sense, but we are also equally, you know, we've got a mum and a dad generally, like, it takes a, a female and a male to make a baby so therefore we are then half female and half male so it's you've got to own both sides of yourself no matter what gender you are right 
Yeah, for sure. And that was definitely a struggle for me too. Like I, I grew up with a, a dad who was, uh, you know, electrician, like hardworking, laboring guy. And I couldn't have had less interest in, in his life and, and his job. You know, I wanted to play video games and I wanted to, to do quieter activities. I wasn't, I wasn't drawn to that stuff. And, and uh, I always struggled with, am I a man enough for my dad? You know, and I, I don't think I could process it at that age that that was what I was feeling, but I always felt like I wasn't quite enough. Mm. Um, and, you know, there was always conflict between my parents. And so you're always kind of uh, forced to pick a side one way or another. And so they're, they're walking that line internally while trying to get the, uh, the correct message between what's going on with your parents definitely confuses things. And so, um, you know, that was something even becoming a parent myself, I was afraid to have a boy because I was like, I never knew, or I feel like I was never really taught those manly things. Like, you know, I, I can't fix the toaster. I can't, uh, you know, I can't, I can't fix the car when it goes wrong. I've, I've always got to pay someone else to do it. How am I going to teach a boy to be a real man? You know, with air quotes, real man. And uh, luckily I was blessed with two beautiful girls, right girls? <laughs> so you got your wish. <laughs> you yeah, so I've got two like, girls. I, I never have to I teach them how to fix boy. the toaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you should teach them how to. <laughs> well, I got to teach myself first. That's the, it let, really it lets me off the hook from having to learn how to fix the toaster. YouTube, YouTube it. <laughs> yep. That's how we learn everything these days. What about yourself, Zach? Um, so, I mean, I... Yeah. I, I always did worry too about, uh, like Jeremy was saying, I worried about having a boy. Mm. Um, but later on, you know, I, I think probably seven or eight years ago, I have one daughter as well. So I don't have to worry about raising a boy. Um, but it, it, it's interesting because my mind has shifted in the last 10 years of, I know exactly how I would raise a boy. Now I would raise yeah. a boy to be emotionally intelligent, to be, you know, go play whatever sports you want to play, mm. do whatever you want to do feel whatever you want to feel. It's all okay. It's all right. Um, so it's an interesting mind shift. I, I was scared of having a boy. Now I kind of want to have one so I could, you know, bring some of those lessons to him, but, but I've got a beautiful daughter and I'm okay mm. with that. It's interesting. Cause I'm like, I'm, I'm a girl obviously, and I've got a daughter myself. She's nine. And I remember thinking, you know, oh, God, I don't know how I'm going to bring up a daughter because I was barely brought up myself. Like I moved out of home when I was 16 out of necessity, um, safety and stuff like that. But I was like, oh, shit, how am I going to bring up a daughter in this day and age when I was barely brought up? Um, but I'm now realising it was just a matter of uh, that particular era. I think, you know, the 70s, the 80s and the 90s it was such a strange sort of an era to grow up in, I think. And we were all like, it was all these clearly defined roles as you're a man or you're a woman. You're not in between, you know? Yeah. And well, yeah, sorry. Well, it, it's interesting too, because I, I, I can see that. And, and I, I know that that's where a lot of my, uh, you know, preconceived beliefs came from, but I also look at like what my kids are doing now compared to what we came up with. You know, we had bullying, we had mm -hmm. fighting on the playground, mm -hmm. but what, what they're growing up with, especially now in times of COVID when they don't know how long am I going to school in person? How long am I going to have to be on? I mean, my kids were just on in school online for a year and a half. I never yeah. had to do that. I, I have no idea what it's like for that. I, I lived a life, but it was nothing like the one that they're living right now. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's, it's another, it's another constant reminder for me to try and just have empathy and compassion because I can't even begin to understand making sense of this world from their perspective. I can't make sense of it from my perspective. So trying to figure out how, 
how they see it is just, it's unimaginable. Um, was there any specific events for either of you guys? So I talk about, you know, stress or like for me, um, I went through a separation and, you know, end of a career change. I did a career change and all these sorts of things. And it was quite stressful because, you know, it's a change of different identity and, but not just that, you know, nursing um, people through their difficult times and their own traumas and stress and watching the stress that goes on with people in life, on life's terms, as we know. So for you guys, was there anything specific or even was it a multitude of things that create, like brought you to start the podcast? Mm, that's a good question. Um, do we have a few hours? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, like, <laughs> can you, can you bullet point it, but that's all right. Yeah, if you can, yeah. we, can, we can, we can pick things out. It's totally fine. Yeah. No, I, I think, um, so my, again, my, my childhood was, was full of trauma from like the day I was born, but I think the real, you know, point where I kind of switched was, um, I had a really good job. I had a big team. I was making a difference for, uh, the company I was working for. And I felt like I had a sense of purpose and Jeremy actually knew me then. So I was I was all about my job and my identity was in my job mm. and I decided to take a, a different role and it really didn't amount to what I thought it was going to be. And it was like no team didn't feel like I was making a difference and the complete opposite of what I was doing. And it made me realize how much of my, myself was tied up in my job mm. and it was literally overnight, my entire identity crashed and went away. And I had no sense of who I was because I didn't have my job. I didn't have that, that sense of purpose. And that was, I think that was 2015, really. I healed from a lot of the trauma that I had, but it was, that was the couple of years where I like just went out searching for myself and like did my yoga teacher training um, and just got in touch with me mentally. Mm -hmm. And I think some of those lessons all of a sudden, Jeremy was like, hey, what, what are you doing there? You look happy, healthy. What, what's happening? And that's when I started telling him some of the things I was doing. He tried it. And we started talking about, you know, the uh, some of our mental issues. And that's kind of where the show started from. Mm. So I, I would say that I lost my identity and I had to find it again. Well, and I think my interest in Zach's uh, self-improvement stemmed from him. He was really a couple of years ahead of me on this path, uh, sort of from the beginning. Mine began with just the dumbest knee injury that ever happened. I, you know, the, the Amazon delivery guy was knocking on the door at 6 a.m. and my dog started barking and I was like, well, that's going to wake up my daughter. So I rolled out of bed to just, just to shut the dog up. And the way I landed on my knee, it just twisted and I just went down and I just wrecked my knee, didn't know what happened. And turned out that it was just some injury. I, I still don't even really know, some sort of nerve damage or something. But I ended up in a physical therapy office and uh, was explaining what happened to me and that my mom had had knee replacement surgeries. And uh, that physical therapist said, you know, you need to get on a bike. The, mm -hmm. the motion of being on a bike is going to save you from the same fate that your mom had replacing your knees. And so I started thinking, like, well, when am I going to do that? The only option really is to start bike commuting. And so I was talking to my brother, who I was doing a podcast with at the time. And, and I'll never forget, uh, I was telling him about this concern, like, how do I start doing this? And he said, you just have to decide that you're that weird bike commuting guy now. Like, that's just your, that's just who you are now. Just accept that as your identity and you'll do it. 
And literally like the next day I got on Craigslist, bought some used bike and started bike commuting to work nine miles and never looked back. And in doing so, I kept finding that I was finding a lot of peace in the uh, chaos of riding that bike because you have to be in the moment on a bike when you're riding along cars going 40 miles an hour, because if you're not in the moment, the moment's going to hit you the wrong way. Mm. And so I just, I, I just was in love with that feeling of like, of just being so completely present for that 45 minutes every day. And it just made me interested in finding how can I bring more of that to my life? And so then I went and sought a, a therapist and he was all about Buddhist teachings and, and meditation and really being in the moment. And and that just kicked open door after door of just ways to be in the, be present, be in the moment and really uh, have focus, have goals. And so that course, you know, just kept going for me for a while. And that was when I saw that Zach was having some success and I was like, well, Hey, I, I just started doing all this stuff. What are you doing? And then I just, the conversations just kept going and, and we just kept feeding off of each other and, and trying to find ways to, to grow really. I've heard that and it was the same, quite a similar experience for myself. Um, like I had a pretty similar upbringing to yourself, just constant, like just disarray. And it, I mean, it is what it is. Like, you know, I've had long talks with my mother and stuff about it. And so, you know, obviously they did the best that they could at the time and you sort of make your peace with it and then do your own healing. And I remember same thing, like people were asking me, what's different about you? Like you're changing. I don't know if I like it that you're changing some. And most people, most people who were curious, they were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I went and learned Reiki, which is like a, um, have you heard of that? Oh yeah. 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 So while I was nursing, because nursing is stressful as all hell. (laughs) Yeah. And then being a mother and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, oh God, I need some other outlet. And so I went and learned Reiki, which was a form of meditation for me. And I also went on my own spiritual path of sort of learning to reconnect with my inner self and I started to meditate before I would go into the hospital. And people like my nursing friends would be like, what is different about you? And Or they would be like, oh, Christy's here. You know, the shift is going to be amazing. And I didn't really realise it until later after I left what it was. It was because there was an inner shift with inside of me. And then it was like sort of going outwards and people are like, probably would have, which would have, um, for you, Zach, is what would have attracted um, Jeremy to you. Like, because he's like, what are you doing? Because it's the change from within, right? Yeah, that's. And I, um, I actually listened to one of our first episodes the other day. Um, it just auto played. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll, I guess I'll listen to this now. But one of the things that I said in that episode was I spent my whole life looking outside for the next promotion, the next, you know, new car and looking at what everyone else had Mm -hmm. and comparing myself to the entire outside world. And when I had that shift, I realized that it's what, it's what's behind my eyes that that matters turning around and looking inside. I was like, Whoa, the gold is there. And I focused on the inside and like everything changed after that. Yeah. I hundred percent agree. I actually ended up writing a book because I love writing. Journaling was, it was almost like I had to reconnect with my inner child. I used to love writing. I grew up in the country and so there was never anything to do. (laughs) So I used to journal everything. And I I realized, I didn't realize it until after the fact, as it always seems to be, I started um, writing a book 
uh, to help me heal through the burnout of nursing and just life or whatever. And um, I made the same correlation. It was just like, you know, I avoided for years going within. And But I think also I've realised as well, it's like the societal conditioning that we've had where probably from that particular era where, you know, you want to have the nice car, you know, you want to be like Mike, you know, the basketball player and, you know, like you want to have the fancy house and all that sort of stuff. And I remember thinking one day, I don't give a stuff about any of that anymore. You know, it's not mm-hmm. making me happy. You take, and I've found recently that um, a lot of people who have those things taken away from them, that's when they start to fall down. Have you noticed that? There's definitely a sense of, of rock bottom, I think, for people when when you do associate your identity. I mean, like Zach associated yeah. his identity with his job. I did the same thing with the job that I had. I mean, there were so many times with uh, one particular show that I produced uh, years ago that I felt like my job was my activism. So I didn't need to donate. I didn't need to volunteer. I didn't need to do things because the job, like I believed so much in the job and who I was in that role that, uh, that, that I didn't need to, to do anything else for other people because that was enough. And mm. when that was gone, I literally had no idea who I was. I mm. it, it just was on an Island and mm. I spent several years and that, you know, to, to a large degree still I'm working. I think that's a lifelong process. I, I don't think you, I don't think once you start on this path, you ever stop because, or you either get too scared and, mm-hmm. and revert to your old ways or, or it gets exhausting and you revert to your old ways, or you just continually pursue because there's just so much that, that we can't, I don't think you can uncover in one lifetime. It's an, it's an evolutionary process, right? Yeah. It's not and, and I have to, and I have to remember that because there will be times when I'm frustrated where I feel like, why, why am I not there yet? Why am I not enlightened? Why am I not just, why isn't every day just bliss? I meditate all the time. I do, I know all the things I, I do all the things sometimes, uh, you know, I should really, I should have it all figured out. And then, you know, something will happen and I'll be frustrated and irritated and angry at everybody. And it's like, why, why did that happen again? So it's, it is, it's just a lifelong process. <laughs> the yoga training would have helped you too, Zach, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> It would have. Jeremy actually attended my first class. Oh, really? So he got, he, he was able to enjoy that, but I think that was my first and only class I ever taught. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, it was a weird, I I thought that I would enjoy teaching yoga, Mm. but then when I realized that I wasn't actually getting the benefit of practicing yoga while I was teaching yoga, Mm. I was out. I Mm. I couldn't do it. Mm. So I can, I did the training to Mm. learn more about it, but I just couldn't be a yoga teacher. Mm, that was quite similar for me with Reiki and I learned some other like massage modalities I realized it was more that I just wanted to learn more about the human body and learn about myself and that it's okay I think a lot of people can get stuck in that mind frame of oh well if I'm going to go and learn I've got to teach it I've just had a girlfriend who went and learned breath work um, and she's like oh everybody's out there teaching it and I should I be teaching it? and I'm like maybe it was just something that you needed at that time right well, we're also taught to be goal oriented. If you, if you, the thing yeah. you're doing doesn't have an end result, then why are you doing it? And yes. that's, that's silly. Like why, why can't just the pursuit of the thing be enough? Why isn't the journey enough without having to, why, why do I have a guitar downstairs that I've had for years that I can play the same three chords on today that I could when I was 15. But every time I pick it up, I, I think, oh, maybe not, maybe I'll finally, uh, 
write a hit song. Maybe, maybe I'll make something. It can never just be about learning the next chord, right? Like, why can't that be enough? Yeah. I think also with, uh, with men specifically, you guys are, well, we inherently, I'm, because I've been learning a lot about, you know, what, how men, because men and women are completely different species, obviously. <laughs> We're not yeah. really the same. Um, and learning that, you know, men really are, you guys are kind of inherently goal-oriented, right, and purpose-driven. And so I could understand why it'd be like, okay, so what's the end goal? I think it says that on your business card, doesn't it, Zach? Purpose and goal-driven? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I tend to operate in extremes. Um, and surprisingly, like where I'm at now is quite a bit less than what I used to be. It was just... Mm. Like I said earlier, I was like always on to the next thing. And mm. I never really appreciated the moment when I achieved my goal. So mm. like whatever it was, like a promotion, the second I got the promotion, I was like, well, this isn't good enough now. Now I wake up every day thankful that I woke up. Mm-hmm. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm okay where I'm at. I still mm-hmm. have goals. I still have aspirations and I want to achieve them. And it's really important to have those, Mm. but it's also really important to recognize that you're okay where you are. It's okay to be happy where you are Mm. and, and just be now with yourself. So, Mm. um, but like Jeremy said, I I am a little goal driven and may take it to the extreme. I don't blame you. I'm a little bit the same if I'm honest, like, but I'm a woman. So even for women, it can be, you can, you can be looked upon as being a little bit masculine. I mean, I always try to you know, balance it. But I love to have a a lofty goal myself. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I remember when I started, you know, within the podcast and the business and all that, you know, people would constantly question my, my motives. And and I'm like, well, why can't I just want to try something out and, and see if it works and, and be okay with that? Like, because I'm a woman, it's so different. You know, the, the, the roles are so I mean, they're, thankfully they're changing as we're getting older, but yeah, I don't know. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> the whole gender thing, but anyway, it is what it is. Um, I loved what you touched on with the exercise. Um, so what I um, often screw it, I always say that, you know, you're the table, you're the top of the table. And then underneath you've got six legs and it's, you know, you're, your personal development, your connections, your ed, ed exercise and, you know, how basically how you keep your your body and your mind in, within the solid foundation and exercise is such a crucial part of that. Um, would you guys agree? I would agree 100% um, mm. of all of the things. I look at exercise as my number one requirement. Mm. It, it really... It, it sets the baseline for me. Mm-hmm. It keeps me, it keeps all my happy chemicals in my brain at a good baseline. It brings the stress down. It brings the anxiety down mm. to the point where I can actively manage and work on all of the other things. Mm. When I'm, when I'm not exercising, I fall down into deep holes of depression and anxiety that I don't seem to be able to crawl out of. Mm-hmm. So exercise is my number one thing to keep the baseline to work on all of those things that I need to work on every single day. I 100% agree. What about you, Jeremy? Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you know, and again, it's, it's another area where we talk all the time about, you know, how it's, how it's always messy. 
I'm not as committed to it. I know I'm not. We, we were literally recording a show this afternoon talking about mindset and how I, I recognize that I don't have the right mindset to go to the gym every day because I don't go to the gym every day. And that is, uh, that, that's mindset. I, I just need to decide like I did with my bike. I'm the guy that goes to the gym every day. Mm. Uh, that, every day at noon, when you walk into that gym, you're going to see that's just, just who I am now. And once I make that decision, there'll be no looking back, but I, I haven't made that switch yet. But I do, it's funny you mentioned a table because I, I try and think of uh, my, my sort of depression management as, as a table as well. It's, it's, a, it's a table with three legs, movement, water, and meditation. If I get enough water and I meditate and I move my body at least for 30 minutes, just go for a walk, do some yoga, just something to, to move that energy, release that energy. Those are the best ways that I can sort of stay balanced. To stay emotionally and physically balanced, because if nothing else, it's just something I'm doing for myself. It's something a way I'm being kind to myself and and just making time for me, because, you know, when you have a family and a job or multiple jobs, the demands are constant and from multiple directions, and it's super important to just take that time for yourself. And and I know that that I need to do more physically. I I have this shirt that I had made that says "Tired Muscles, Quiet Dark Voices," because I know that when I push that energy out all that, all that noise goes with it. And I can just sort of be more present and be more in the moment. It's like stuck energy. I call it, you know, stuck energy. Yeah. If you don't move your body and, you know, because we have all become so sedentary within our lives and things like that. If you don't move your body, it becomes stuck energy. You don't move your body to move. Like oxygenation is what helps to release it, as you would know, through yoga, exercise, whatever you call it. It's why like they, my friend who did a yoga class and she farted and then she started crying right afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Christy, it was the weirdest bloody experience ever, but I was so embarrassed. And I was like, clearly you had something stuck in there. She goes, <laughs> I'm sure she's the first person that that's ever happened to also. That's what I said to her. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sure you're the first person to have done all of those things yeah. in a yoga class. And she's well, like, the- <laughs> Yeah. The other good thing about it too, is that you can, you could tell her is when you do that, only the people immediately around, you know, it was you, everyone <laughs> else in the class, they don't quite know the direction it came from. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <sitting there>. <laughs> um, it's okay. This is interesting too. Um, the concept that's come up around self-care. So I know for women, it's easy to call it self-care on Instagram, you know, self-care is everywhere, but for men, and I've asked, um, a couple of my friends have got husbands and things like that. You know, what do, because I know over here in Australia, if you say self-care to a man, you'll just think it's a real feminine thing to say. So for you guys, um, what would you, what would you deem as self-care? What wording would you specifically use? Um, I I would use the word self-care. I do too. Yeah. That's, that's actually what I use. It's an American what it is. thing or like, I don't know, because I know here in Australia, got, you say self-care to some of the guys and they'll think, and I think we are a little bit backwards over here because we're down under and probably just, I don't know. But Well, yeah. I think there's a connotation. I mean, you know, there's a reason that people associate that. If you go on Instagram and, and search that as a hashtag, you're going to see a bunch of women reading books with cozy blankets and cups of tea and, and all the like sort of stereotypical things that you're going to see associated yeah. with self-care. So it makes sense that for, for a guy who's maybe not as open to making time for self-care, yeah, that that would yeah. be what they would, they would associate it with. Cause that's, that's what the ads on TV are. That's what the media is, is perpetuating in terms of what self-care mm-hmm. is. But I mean, like I said, self-care is just making time for yourself. It's, it's really 
it doesn't have to have all of this gentrification with it to, yeah. to, yeah. to make it weird or, or foreign to, to somebody. Okay. And self-care for self-care can be like, it doesn't have to be like what Jeremy said, right? For me, self-care is going to the gym and lifting heavy weights. Yeah, That's self-care for me, but it's kind of masculine too, right? Um, you know, I, I don't fix cars, but I imagine somebody who's really passionate about fixing cars, that would be self-care for them. It would be yeah. a, a very mindful place for them to be. So mm. it's a, it's an interesting word in that mm. we associate it with, with typically feminine type self-care, but in reality, it, it, it's all the same across both genders. Yeah, it is. It's something that I am trying to sort of um, help open up the conversation over here in Australia to get guys, especially in the the trade industries and stuff, because over here they're quite masculine and, um, you know, trying to get them to prioritise because when you work within those particular industries, you are generally the primary caregiver. Um, Your identity is attached to being the financial breadwinner and being the dad and bringing everything in and, but unfortunately, you know, if you're working six days a week and then you've got to make time for your wife and make time for your kids and then self-care care goes out the window or it's, mm-hmm. you know, and so how would you suggest, um, say, for a guy who was, you know, particularly masculine or whatever, who's not prioritising their self-care when you, know, when you guys specifically know that that is a priority in order to be, the best dad, husband, etc. What, what sort of advice would you give? I would start with, I would start with, you know, being masculine and, and self-care, they can live together, mm. right? You can be masculine. You can do all the things that you can be the breadwinner. I mean, I'm the breadwinner in my household. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm currently rewiring our house. Like, I don't know how to do it but I'm doing it anyway. I'm figuring it out. I'm doing the masculine thing, Mm. but you know, these self-care things like meditation, emotional intelligence and getting and connecting with yourself. Um, that, and that's how I view self-care is like really knowing yourself inside. Mm. These are things you can add to masculinity, right? You can still be as masculine as you want. These are just additional things that will help you be a better person, a better human being Mm. in general. So that's what I would add. And I'm sure Jeremy is waiting for me to stop talking so he can. No, and that's, that's all gold. I, I would just add that sometimes it's just marketing, you know, don't call it self-care, but when, not yet. depending on, on the guy, if it's someone who's not um, open to that kind of an idea, just talking about taking a break, you know, talk about, uh, talk about things that, or, you know, and, and so much of this, I guess is pre COVID, but like talking about, things you can do, like, let's go camping, let's go fishing, like offering to do those sort of typical, you know, masculine things or whatever, but knowing that it's just a chance to go and connect with nature and take a nature bath, right. Or, or whatever. But like, it's just, it's just marketing. It's just changing the way you present it. And, and, you know, talking about, Hey, let me come over and help you work on the car this weekend. So you can both be focused on fixing the carburetor. They're called carburetors, right? I don't know. Um, (laughs) But just just changing that marketing, I think, is yeah. is the best way to to access those people. Mm-hmm. And but also recognizing that uh, you know it's it's a it's a tricky line to walk because I know you know Zach and I want to open the door to men to talk more about these things. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not our responsibility to fix people, especially if they don't want to be fixed. 
So for anyone who's listening and thinking, oh, if only I've, I could get my husband to meditate once in a while. Well, he might not, and it's not your job to make him, but maybe just look for ways to encourage that guy or, or whoever you're with uh, to do those things that they care about. Give them the space to go do those things that they're passionate about so that they can throw themselves into that and, and unplug from all of the other responsibilities in their lives. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that respect. A hundred percent. You cannot fix anybody that doesn't want to be fixed. You know, I, yeah, I mean, I know that through, you know, my profession, you know, and even personal life, especially when I was going through my own personal changes, I initially at the start, I was like going, oh my God, you'll never guess what, like, you should try this and try this. And I'd be giving out books and, you know, and then I realized that it was falling on deaf ears. And I was like, why is this not working? And why don't they want to change? <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> Christy, mm-hmm. stay in your own bloody lane. Forget about yep. what they're doing. Like if they want yep. to change, they'll come to you. Kind of like what Jeremy did to you mm-hmm. um, with saying, Zach, like, you know, what is it that you're doing? And li- it literally, as soon as I stopped trying to be the nurse fixer um, and just kept staying in my, I call it stay in your own lane, stay in your own car, just keep driving your own car. And if somebody like wants to know what you're doing, they'll wave and they'll go, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I will. Um, imagine especially as a nurse that'd be exceptionally tough because all i mean all day for many many i mean more than eight hours a day i'm assuming like most nurses that it would be hard to turn off that help fix switch yes i've had to deprogram myself (laughs) because i don't clinically work there anymore i haven't done for about three and a half years or whatever it is um i had to literally deprogram myself from being the fixer and um not like sort of you know, get out of fight or flight mode and all that sort of stuff myself and learn that, you know, you can't fix everybody and you just, you can only, uh, you can only do it by, lead by example, right? Lead by mm-hmm. example and hope yep. that it will uh, land in the right ears. So yeah, exactly. kind of like what you guys yeah. are doing with your podcast, right? That's, that's the idea where we're, again, we're just throwing it out there and whoever benefits from it, wonderful if we can help someone absolutely um hopefully you know it it falls on more ears and more people can can use the lessons um but even through the pod the podcast is one thing but you know as a father like that's that's an even bigger responsibility for me because you mentioned you have a nine-year-old you can't tell them anything you can't say you need to be this way you can't say you need to be that way but if you model what it is that you want them to be or how you want them to be as a good human being, they subconsciously pick up on that. They don't know they're doing it. If they did know they were doing it, they'd go the yeah. opposite way. But um, for me, it's more important to model that for my daughter. Yeah. And then, you know, again, same with the podcast. It's, I hope it's helping people by us doing what we do, being vulnerable and just modeling that it's okay. I'm a massive believer in modeling positive behavior to my daughter. Like I know for myself, once I started modeling positive behavior, she did the same thing by, by proxy. And in fact, I remember there was this one time where I tried to tell her, might've been something, tell her how to feel. Oh, no, I'm, I don't know what it was, but she said, mom, you're not my body conduction and you're not my brain. She's like, are you in my head? And like, I was like, that's awesome. I was like, that's really good. But that's kind of uncomfortable because she pointed it out. And I was like, oh, I said, oh, I'm so sorry. But yeah, I agree. I had a, I had a moment with um, 
occasionally I get so frustrated that I have a very quick bout of anger and I will slam something or, you know, put my fist on the, on the counter. And, uh, there's just this one day, my daughter had a problem with her phone that she was using for music and didn't work. Like it locked her out or something. And she like slammed her hand on the counter. And I was, and I looked at her like horrified of like, that's such inappropriate behavior. And my wife looked at me and went, that's you, dude. That's you. Little beacons of, uh, of uh, your outward behavior. <laughs> They're just modeling it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but so it's been a really good lesson having a kid to at least show me how poor I'm doing in some areas <laughs> where I need to put effort. What about you, Jeremy? I'd love to hear your little story. <sighs> yeah, well, there's so many. Um, I think, I think mine, uh, I don't know. I've, I've learned a lot about, I guess, about myself, uh, through raising my kids. And one in particular is that, you know, I have highly sensitive kids and that was something that I didn't even know was a thing until a few years ago. And, uh, I think, I think my wife stumbled across it as a concept. Maybe there was a, I think there was a Kickstarter out there for the movie that was being made or something. And we started researching it and looking into it. And, and there was just like all these red flags of, yep, that's that is her. That's her. That's her. But then the further I read, the more I read that, oh, I'm not reading for her anymore. This is me. This is, this is who I am. Mm. And so it's been a really interesting education to sort of learn more about who I am through being a parent, because, you know, when I was a kid, same, same stuff, you know, toughen up, you know, just suck it up and, and go deal with your problem. Like there was, there was no, and this is not a slam on my parents. They, did, they didn't have the, the knowledge. They didn't have the information. They didn't have the, the culture no. that we have now to, to know these things. But, and trust me, it's not easy to implement this stuff in, when you're in the grind of the day-to-day in, in parenting. But, um, but just, just uh, that's been way more eye-opening than I expected going into parenting was just how much I would learn about myself and trying to teach them how to be good people. Um, and I also bring a lot of baggage about mm. uh, my self-esteem. And so when I, I think I project a lot, I think that there's a lot of things that I, that I try and prevent them from having to experience based on the thing that happened to me in 1983, you know, like, <laughs> and it makes, it makes no sense, but I see so much of myself in them and I, and I see them making some of the same decisions and, and following some of the same patterns and just going, Oh, well, I, I know how this ends. So I've got to step in and stop this thing. Um, so that's been, that's been a, a really interesting lesson that I've had to learn. And I'm still very much learning is how to stop parenting myself through them and trying to correct what I wish my parents had corrected 30 years ago. Yeah. That's a really tricky concept. I always say that my daughter was my awakening, you know, yeah. She, yep. she she came into my life and it, and it was almost like I wasn't ready to be a parent. Who whoever is really? I feel right. like I was thirty one, so I was just like, oh my god! Suddenly I've got this kid, and initially I sort of started to parent her the way that I was parented, which is what you do. It's what you do, yeah, of course. What you do, right? And then and then and then I started to wake up and go, hang on, I don't want to repeat history. I'm going to make these changes, and I and I, that's literally what I did. I, and it it pissed a lot of people off, but I was like, 
I don't care. This is my kid. I'm going to parent her the way. But then, yeah, you sort of do kind of go a little bit like into the, well, back in 1983, like I'm trying to stop this from happening, and which is where cotton wooling happens, I feel like. You know, you sort of stop them from evolving. But it's, a, it's like once you have your own, your own sense of self, you can kind of not cotton wool them but nurture them through their little challenges and stuff. Would you agree? Totally. I definitely, yeah, I, I definitely have bright spots that I can point to. There was, there was one that, uh, that I will never forget. It was my, my daughter was having an issue. I don't even remember what the issue was, but I remember talking to her about how whatever it was, was, was all emotions and feelings and how to really like put the story aside, the story of whatever the thing was that happened and just t- tap into what did that make you feel? Mm. And we really talked it through from that perspective because so much of the drama and the stress that we create for ourselves is a story. And, and we get so caught up in how that story ends and, and who the villain is and who the good guy is. And so much of it, I mean, it's all just nonsense when you boil it down to this is how it made me feel and that's what I need to work on. And I remember talking to her about that, about whatever the, the story was, because I forget the story. But I remember at the end of it, she just said, wow, dad, you really know a lot about this feeling stuff. <laughs> that's great. And I was just like, I win. I win the dad award. I figured it out. I've unlocked the key. And then I'm sure the next day I got frustrated and you know yelled at her about something stupid. But but in that moment, I was the best dad on the planet. <laughs> That's amazing. I um, would love to hear a bit more about your podcast, actually. So what do you guys talk about specifically on the podcast, The Fitness? So we we take the approach of, you know, again, we are two average guys and in some cases below average some cases above average, but many cases below average. Yeah. And mostly below. Um, and we, we really focus on, you know, tools and techniques and bringing on experts who do know their stuff. So we talk to people about meditation, physical exercise, nutrition, uh, mindfulness, uh, yoga, and, you know, tools as well. So we, you know, we talk to people who make, um, you know, fitness trackers that you wear, um, and really just approaching it from a really humble place uh, and a vulnerable place of all of this health and wellness stuff, being healthy mentally, physically, emotionally, it's not easy. No. In fact, it's really hard. And for every two steps forward you take, you're going to have a step backwards, maybe even three. And just letting people know that like, it's okay to struggle through this. It's okay for it to be a struggle. Cause none of it's easy. I know Instagram and Facebook makes it all look perfect and really, really easy, but it's not. So we're really focusing on making sure people know that to be healthy, to be well, to be happy, it's hard to do. And it's okay. That it feels hard to do. Hmm. Yeah. It's hard to do. And it requires a lot of tools and not all of them are going to fix your problems. And so that's why we do talk about a lot of different things and bring in a lot of different perspectives and experts to try and just give people a few more tools to carry around in that toolbox to try and fix themselves. I mean, I've already admitted, I, there's not, I can't fix anything and I'm still trying to fix myself, but I keep throwing things in that toolbox for the different things that are going to come up that, that need addressing. Um, and you know, I think the thing that drives me the most is just really trying to help that person who like me, eight, nine, 10 years ago, mm. uh, wanted to make a change, didn't know where to go, didn't know how to do it felt very alone, felt very isolated. And I just want that version of me to hear that it's okay, that it's hard. It's okay that you're going to fail probably 16 times today. And that so am I, we're we're all, we're all going to fail a whole bunch on this never ending journey journey 
to better wellness. And so if we can just make, you know, one more person feel a little bit less alone in, in that path, then, then I think we're doing our job. I love that. I, I say, I think it's a Japanese proverb, fall down seven, get back up eight. Yep. You know, and, and the, the imperfect, the perfectly imperfect. I just think probably the messaging for a lot of us, probably growing up in the era that we did was that, you know, you, you win everything. It's always to win, but, you know, you don't really see like even with the professional athletes and whoever else, the people that, yeah, they've won. I mean, I think I watched Bruce Jenner's um, like how he won the decathlon or something but the but the backstory behind the amount of failures that he had in order to get there you know the 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 beauty i feel like is in the failures is in the the falling down seven and getting back up eight that's the human part that's the part that we all experience we don't all experience that moment on the on the podium with the gold medal very very few of us do the rest of us are still you know in some in cases, sitting sleep. on the couch eating a bag of Doritos while others are still out on the track running. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's that's where most of us are. We're not all we're not all on on the pinnacle with the medal. No, and that's why I, I just like I said, it's, it's like where you get stuck in the in between. It's like, ah, like the, it's it's the fear of like, oh, am mm-hmm. I going to do this? Am I going to do this? And then you give up before you know the podium or yeah. something like that but um you touched on something before like if you were to, i mean you said about you know yourself nine years ago if you and you felt alone and lost and if you were to give advice to somebody who is on a or about to start down that particular path of self-discovery and what would what advice would you give to men or women i would say no matter what no matter how crazy the idea that is proposed, no matter how insane, how woo-woo, how weird the options are, just say yes. Mm. If it's not dangerous, if you're not going to hurt yourself or others, say yes and do it. If you're afraid of it, absolutely say yes, because that's where the growth happens. When, when you get out of that comfort zone, when you make the change that is the thing that's holding you back, the letting go of that thing that means everything to you that you've got your identity wrapped up in, just that all has to go away and you have to just be open and say yes to whatever the craziest things are that you don't think are going to work because many of them will and you'll be completely blown away at how much they change your life. Yeah, and to add to that too, uh, you know, Jeremy said, as long as it's safe, I would say whatever it is that you want to do, find someone who can help you do it safely. Hmm. So if, if it's going to be exercise, if it's going to be, you know, different way of eating or nutrition, if it's going to be, uh, you know, mindfulness, right. It's, it's really helpful to have somebody either one helping you make sure that you're not hurting yourself or doing it in a way that would hurt yourself. Hmm. And second, somebody who's letting you know that it's where you are is okay. I know, think of it this way. Like if I went into the gym and tried to bench press 600 pounds, I'd feel like I failed. But if I had a coach or somebody there helping me be like, nobody can do that. No, what you're doing is good. Like this is the good, that was a good starting point. So finding somebody who can give you that positive feedback as well as make sure that you're, you're not hurting yourself. And even if it's meditation or mindfulness, an accountability coach or somebody to help you realize that you don't go from zero to monk. You go from zero to that felt horrible zero to that wasn't meditating. 
like it takes a long time to get good at things like that. So finding somebody who can help you and give you that positive feedback and help you with the positive mindset's really important. Yeah, I 100% agree. I know for myself, it's you know, you you do have to have somebody in your corner to go keep going. You know, you are going to fall down, but get back up again and it's there is no perfect ending to to any of it, really. It's just it's learning. I love how you said, you know, just say yes. Even mm-hmm. if it sounds woo-woo and completely out of there. Like I had a girlfriend come on and he said she went and tried some weird frog serum something or other that made her vomit and do all that. I was just like, <laughs> I mean. Sign me up. Where do we go? I'm in. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I'd say Sounds yes great. to that. <laughs> but okay. And she's like, yeah, I don't know if I'd do it again. I said, but good on you for saying yes yeah. and trying it anyway, right? That lesson I learned very vividly just a couple of years ago. I was invited to participate in a uh, a pilot uh, taping for a group therapy reality show for HBO, <laughs> and it was I just it was they showed me uh, there was like a sample of a similar project that had been made a few years prior, and there was so much of it was like oh, I don't know if I could be that vulnerable. Like you know, there's cameras in the room, that's going to be some weird stuff. And I was watching Brene Brown's uh, talk on Netflix like the night before. And her whole thing was just like, just get out of your comfort zone, get, you know, get weird, try all those things. And I was like, there's a reason I'm watching this right now while this has fallen into my lap. And so the lesson that I need to learn here is to take the leap and say, yes. And I did more, I had more growth spiritually in that three day retreat than I've had in 20 years. And there's so many things that I took away from that, that I want to like make permanent parts of my life. And had I said no, because I was afraid and it was weird and different, I would always be wondering, what if I'd done that thing? What if, mm-hmm. what, what could I have possibly gotten out of it? So I just, I, I always tell my kids too, like, you're going to regret the things you don't do way more than you regret the things you do. So that's, that's when I, when I learned that lesson. Yeah. And the, one of the common themes that we, that we've now seen on our show mm-hmm. that nearly every single guest has mentioned in some way, shape or form is to be curious about yourself. And again, what if I said yes, right? If for that for that retreat, just mm-hmm. thinking about well, what would this do to me? I don't know. I think I'd probably pass on the frog stuff. Yeah, myself, I don't know about but the but just you know, like what if what if I did Zach? this? What, what if? if I what if I did this thing? What if I did that thing? What if? And just be curious and get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, I love that. Be curious. It's kind of almost like uh, rebringing once you're an adult, rebringing your child mind. You know, like the the yeah. curiosity of a child. I feel like probably that's where a lot of us go fall down as adults. Is um, you, you get so stuck in this identity of oh, I'm an adult now and I'm working and I've got to do this, this, and this, and you forget that the the fun is in being saying yes to those kinds of things and being and having a childlike mind about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Cause it's curiosity. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting where I am today because just over a year ago, I said yes to the idea of moving out of the United States and living in Canada and just throwing, like not throwing everything away, but walking away from everything that we had built in Seattle and just trying something else, seeing what else was out there. And a year almost to the day where, you know, we're here and we're living a different life and having all these adventures and different experiences. And it's all because I, a couple of years ago was introduced to, you know, when something's scary and difficult and challenging, lean in and do it. Mm, I love that. 
Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so I want to end it with, because I always love saying, you know, there's always light after dark and all that, but I love um, humour. Humour is massive for me. Like, I love a good fart joke. So I was just thinking Zach's got the best fart jokes. Okay, good. So <laughs> could you both tell me a funny joke? Because I love comedy or any sort of just some, something funny. But not just for me, well, but for other people, of course. I won't, I don't, I'm not going to tell a joke. I'm actually going to tell a story. Okay that I told Jeremy earlier, and this was, um, it actually came up in conversation the other day. My best friend, when I was, when I was a kid, his mother would always try and, um, cough to cover her farts. She would always try, but she (laughs) never quite got the timing right. So every time it would be, (laughs) she missed it every single time. And I would go over to his house just to, you know, witness one of those moments. I thought that was great. I don't think I can top that. I, no, uh, I don't, I don't have a good story. I don't have a good joke that's coming to mind. Yeah, I, I gotta leave that in Zach's lap. That's like yeah, that's a good. That one. was that was actually really good. Cough. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she was coughing to try and, yeah, like counteract the sound of her farting or something. Well, tell tell your friend to take that to the yoga class, right? I was just thinking that. Like, <laughs> I'll tell her to cough next time. Oh they'll they'll freak out and think she has COVID and throw her out of the building. <laughs> Probably. <but. laughs> oh, my God. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, you guys, for coming on. I've really enjoyed, um, yeah, I love hearing different perspectives from people on, um, yeah, life, really, life on life's terms, the, the imperfect perfectness of it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Um, So, yeah, make sure everybody likes, subscribes, and shares the shit out of it. And the podcast is The Fit Mess. Is that correct? That's correct. You guys are on? Great. Um, And thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you.